Welcome back to Worst Seats in the House. Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta coming to you from, well, not Split Rocks today. Uh, another uh, winter storm hit the Twin Cities and uh, we decided to better be late than sorry. and uh, Or better be safe than sorry, I should say. Um, yeah, and, a little bit uh, late. Yeah, a little bit late. I'm, I'm so used to you being late that I fear we better be late and sorry. Well, if um, you remember right, I was there first last week. <laughs> That's a good point. And you even had some socks, some fresh socks uh, at your uh, at your disposal during that podcast. Um, I did. Uh, yep. Yeah. Hey, really, thank you. Uh, big thanks to Aquarius Home Services. They've been incredible support to the show, uh, really, for, you know, pretty much since Anthony's been on the show, definitely, for two or three years. Um, and uh, we have an exciting announcement, but we are coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services studio this week, Anthony. I like it. It's a plush studio. Very Warm, cozy, great place to watch a game while doing the podcast. It's a perfect studio. Yep, and uh, thanks to all our sponsors. Our next live show now, we think, is January 25th at 7 p.m. at Split Rocks uh, back up at Wyoming. Uh, we've had to postpone the last couple shows, and those will make updates will come in February and March uh, when instead of doing uh, uh, four shows in February and March, we'll do six shows, so... Uh, stay tuned to those dates, but January 25th at Split Rocks is our next uh, live show. And, um, and Anthony, uh, really only one game since our last podcast. It was the, the uh, New Year's Eve game where the Wild played uh, one of their better games um, of the season, spe- specifically on the road and definitely in St. Louis, where we usually, as we talked about on last podcast, see a lot of losses. Um, got off to a little bit of a hairy start, but man, the Wild calmed down in the second and third periods and took a very impressive win over the St. Louis Blues. They were clearly the better team in that game, snapped a seven-game losing streak in St. Louis, had had only two wins in the last 14 overall against the Blues, a team that, even though they've changed in personality and in feel, they've gone from the big, heavy, bruising forwards to a more speed and skill-based forward group, but big and sturdy on the back end. Their defensive core averages about 20 pounds more than the wild defense, and yet... Whatever their makeup has been, they've just been a tough matchup for Minnesota, particularly in that building. And I thought it was a great performance by the Wild and ended the streak or the stretch that we talked about as being a really important three game stretch right out of the holiday break against three teams in the central playoff race and ended up winning two out of the three. And I I think anytime you take two out of three when you're going up against your divisional foes like that, you run with it. No doubt about it. Uh, saw a couple of multiple games from uh, Jared Spurgeon and Jordan Greenway. Um, some uh, a really nice goal by uh, Matt Dumba and the return of Ryan Hartman. A couple goals, uh, thanks to a couple Jordan Bennington uh, puck gaffes, which you know I thought really um, was interesting because I don't know about you, Anthony, but I felt that one of the big um, catalysts to St. Louis winning last year was after Bennington took over. I thought the Wild really had trouble with his puck. Uh, placement I mean, you know when they place the puck in certain areas he came out and was able to really destroy some four checks because he's normally a very safe and smart puck handler behind the net and and man we saw a couple big time gaffes one where marcus felino stripped the puck from him and the other were uh really a great read by ryan hartman and he was awfully casual getting back into the net and ryan hartman made him pay i thought the wild took advantage of him from the start he looked shaky and I thought Minnesota did a great job of taking advantage of that. They put him in spots where he had to handle the puck, put him in spots where he had to make decisions, fast decisions. They were all over him. And 
Look, he's a big reason why the Blues won last year's series. He's also a big reason why they're spinning their wheels right now. He just has not been consistent enough for them. And after they dealt Billy Huso and really anointed him as their guy, right now I got to believe they're rethinking that decision. He's been amazingly inconsistent this year, and Minnesota took advantage of that. Yeah, I saw him play a game in November in Vegas where I thought he was the best player on the ice, and uh, he played just marvelous. And and that was the really the beginning. I think it was the second victory of their eight game win streak. And ever since, he has just been all over the map, and um, you know, melting down in games, things like that. We saw the incident with Jason Zucker a couple of weeks ago as well. He's tried to calm that part of his game down. He didn't lose his uh, his temper against the Wild the other night, but sure, they sure made him pay. And Let's talk about Ryan Hartman, Anthony. I mean, we he was a big topic on last week's show. He's been a big topic lately. I mean, you know, I think he would admit that hasn't gotten off to the greatest start to his season um, before the injury, after the return as well. Um, not easy missing six, seven weeks with the shoulder injury that he had. Took him a little while to get his footing under him. Took him a little while to get his timing under him. And if that was the beginning of what we could see from Ryan Hartman, it looks like he sure was back the other night because it just to me wasn't the goals. When Brian Hartman is playing well, he's going to the net, but he is also a really good defensive player. Great reads. And how many plays did he break up at the offensive blue line in the neutral zone by just picking off um, outlets and, and turning it quickly the other way? Has a great sense for where pucks are going. We saw that so many times last year where, he, yes, he won some puck battles with his tenacity and little competitiveness along the boards and in corners, but a lot of them were skill plays, knocking pucks out of the air on the way out of the zone, reading breakouts properly and creating turnovers. And I agree with you. I think if that's just maybe the the beginning of him being back and being back on his game, it's exciting. And as we've talked on previous shows, this wild team needs scoring from the Matt Boldy line. And perhaps this is the the springboard for that because Goudreau's game has been good. Boldy's game has been good, but Boldy's game could get a lot better if all of a sudden he's got a guy in the other wing that develops a scoring touch like what we saw from Hartman a year ago. I really think it's been a couple games, and we talked about his penalties, and yes, he'll take some penalties that make you scratch your head sometimes, but I did think, I'm trying to remember which one it was in the Winnipeg or Dallas game, one of the two I thought was a bad penalty. The other one, when you really look at it, when you go back and watch the replay, he's trying to make a play, trying to lift a guy's stick, yeah. and that that kind of thing is going to happen every once in a while. It's the other ones that every once in a while have you wondering what's going on. But I, I also think he's a guy that has to play on the edge to be at his best. And whenever you have a guy that's in that spot that has to play on the edge, you're going to every once in a while step over the line. And that's just something with which you're going to have to deal and something you have to live with from time to time. And I think that's when Hartman's on his game. That's right where he lives is close to the line. Yeah. And, um, I, you're the one that you're thinking of is the high skin and one where he was just having a puck battle behind the net and it was just bad luck, but you know, obviously a costly power play against because the wild didn't kill the penalty and, and it put the, that game out of reach, but you're right. I mean, even, even, uh, you know, Dean Evison, when I asked the question after the game in St. Louis, he kind of took a little step back and basically said that he wasn't too miffed about that one, but it's the ones like the slashing minor in Winnipeg that, that really Hartman needs to cut out. And I asked Hartman after the game, you know, about that conversation that he had with Dean. It was very brief, 
Dean basically said that he told him, hey, uh, you know, just cut the crap, basically, you know, get this out of your game. And, you know, he basically said that you don't have to, Hartman's a smart guy. He knows, um, you know, he's fully accountable, realizes that he needs to, at times, uh, you know, walk it back and, and, and not lose his temper on the ice. And, and Hartman echoed that in the locker room by basically saying that, Hey, uh, you know, I'm a big boy and I realized right away that I screwed up and, uh, you know, look there, as you said, there's going to be those times where he's still going to do it, but he just needs to stop the, um, the real egregious ones, the, the needless ones. If you're battling for a puck, I think any coach will take that penalty. Um, you know, you don't want it, but you, 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 you understand it. It's the ones, the needless ones. Um, either after a whistle or one that just caused a whistle because it was completely undisciplined that Hartman has to get out of his game. Um, I know this is a broken record, but we talk about him all the time, but I, I wanted to just talk about him again. But Jarrett's burgeon right now. I mean, this stretch of hockey, I think what it does is show you how hurt he was last year, Anthony, because, um, you know, I think we all know he missed the winter classic with what turned out to be a sports hernia, a muscle core tear that he eventually needed to have operated after the season. But he played pretty much the entire second half with it. It clearly was affecting his game. And right now, we are seeing a healthy player that is just playing, uh, you know, to me, as good as we've ever seen him play. Yeah, it's he's playing really well, for sure. And I hadn't really thought about it in terms of ever seeing him play because I think he's had some really good stretches. Mm-hmm. We had a number the other night that over the last two seasons among all defensemen in the NHL, He's like number five in terms of his plus minus. And I know it's a, it can be a flawed stat, but I think in his case, the flaw would be working against him because he's playing against the other team's best guys on a nearly nightly basis. And right now it's, you're right though. His game has been really, really good and so efficient getting pucks out of his own zone. He's been able to defend the other team's best. Is I think the number, what is it now? I think the last two years he's a combined, he's over 50 in terms of plus minus. And I think Devon Taves might be the only one still ahead of him. I, I can't recall who else. When I had looked at it a couple games ago, he was right up there with Kale McCarr and maybe Jacob Slavin was in that mix somewhere. But it's crazy how underappreciated he is. And then when you watch him, and sometimes when you start to talk to teams that have now seen him, a couple times in a short period and they'll say, wow, I just can't believe how good that guy is and how nobody's ever talking about him. We, we talked a lot last year about Jonas Brodeen starting to finally get recognized in that way. And maybe Jared Spurgeon should be right there in that same conversation. In fact, I shouldn't even say maybe he should be. Those two guys are the reason why Minnesota's defensive core is what it is. Yeah, um, Evolving Wild, uh, uh, so Evolving Hockey's wild version of their Twitter account, tweeted the other day, since 2007, Spurgeon ranks third in goals above replacement and fifth in expected uh, goals above replacement among all NHL defensemen. It's pretty unbelievable. Uh, Just quietly, as always, the most quiet player on the Wild roster uh, just uh, continues to um, just play uh, terrific hockey. He, By the way, the guys above he's him. He's been more assertive offensively yeah. too, which is, and it it's not just him, but when he's starting to play that way, it almost is like you feel the entire defensive core start. And mm-hmm. what I've always thought he does so well is reads plays so that he's able to jump down into the zone, but then he his skating is so good that he never gets trapped down there. 
he's a smaller guy. So when all of a sudden he comes down the wall and there's a battle in the corner, you never see him get tangled up with the other guys and therefore be late back. He's always able to keep moving and therefore it seems like he never gets caught out of position. He's able to recover and you'll see him come down one wall and before you know it, he's back up the other wall, getting back defensively to make plays. And so we've seen that. And then just think about, I don't know how long, let's say over the last two to three weeks, how many unbelievable defensive plays he's made. Yeah. Locks, knocking pucks out of the air, the couple recoveries on breakaways where he's come back, to, like the Anaheim play, the one where he was, he made the block at the side of the net on a puck that was about six inches off the ground and yet just batted it out of midair with his stick. His the, Those kind of plays show you just how skilled he is on top of how responsible and how determined he is. And we talked about this a little bit on a recent broadcast and I, I can't remember if it was with Wes or Ryan, but there was so much talk when he got named the captain for the wild that, and it wasn't necessarily even talk that was vibrant in nature, but everybody you'd bump into would say, can you really have a captain that's that small in stature? Can you really have a captain that's that soft spoken? That's that quiet. Well, I think right now, if he hasn't answered that question, you're not looking and you're not listening to the answer because he has. And this team's chemistry and the leadership group, he's no small part of that and should not be, he should be given a ton of credit for what it's become. But the way he leads, and it isn't just by example, it's also by what he says and does. I think this guy has just turned into one special player. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, when the when the Wild eventually have a ring of honor, um, he will be right up there. And uh, I'll bet my life that number 46 is never worn by another Wild player whenever his career is over many, many years from now. By the way, the, the numbers from Evolving Wild, the guys above him for expected goals, um, Shea Weber and Eric Carlson. And right behind him, Giordano, Latang, Brent Burns, Petrangelo, Zdano Chara, Victor Hedman, John Carlson. Slew a Hall of Famers I just mentioned. Uh, with the other stat that I mentioned, Giordano, Hedman, Chara, Suter, right above them, Latang, Petrangelo, Weber, Goligoski, and Yossi right behind them. So, uh, you know, pretty, pretty good player. Good and as, as, yeah, good company. And as Anthony mentioned, um, after the Winnipeg game, Kevin Gorg asked about Spurgeon, and Dean just went on and on about him, about the stuff that we that we don't see and hear on the bench and everything he does in the locker room. And obviously we've seen on social media all the special stuff that he does behind the scenes to really be inclusive with his teammates, inviting him over for Thanksgiving, all that type of stuff. So uh, special, special player, uh, Jared Spurgeon, that man is. Um, and I still – there are two things that I, I remember about Jared Spurgeon. One, I've told it a thousand times, but in 2010 when he made his NHL debut on his 21st birthday in Calgary – Somebody inside the wild gave me the heads up that he was coming up and I just wrote back LOL because I thought he was kidding with me. And the other one as three years later when he signed his three-year $8 million deal and it happened in the summertime. So instead of doing a conference call, Chuck Fletcher just called the beat writers and I was on the phone with Fletcher and I basically asked him what he was thinking. And uh, like 267 for Jared Spurgeon, I remember saying that to him. And he's like, trust me, Mike, in a couple of years, you're going to think this is a steal. Wait till you see his next contract. And man, was he right. Um, so, uh, just a hell of a find by the Minnesota wild. Remember Jared Spurgeon was basically had one foot on an airplane going to play professional hockey overseas and the wild, uh, convinced him to sign a deal out of, uh, first 
um, uh, development camp, and then they brought him back to uh, to Traverse City, and they signed him in co- to a free agent contract out of juniors uh, right there in that offseason. Um, here's a word from Aquarius Home Services. Well, it's the start of a new year. Do you have any new projects on your list for 2023? Need any repairs? If you find that your furnace is struggling to keep up with the cold temps, well, Aquarius Home Services is offering $98 off any furnace repair. That's right, $98 off. Trust my friends over at Aquarius Home Services. Their professional heating and cooling technicians are experts at troubleshooting and repairing any type of furnace-related issue. Aquarius Services all makes and models, and their technicians will go above and beyond to ensure 100% satisfaction, trust me, I know better than anybody that came out here on Christmas Eve day and fixed my furnace when I came back from a road trip and it was about 50 degrees in my house. Well, be worry-free and schedule your furnace repair with Aquarius today. Aquarius believes in earning the right to be recommended. That's why I do it every single week on the show. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention Russo sent you. Here's a word from Bosch Law Firm. Hey, hockey fans. Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. Just got through the holidays and that meant some incredible meals at our place. It's a big part of our holidays was meals with our family and friends and for that, all the ingredients came from Kowalski's. I just sent Margo to Kowalski's today, in fact. So I sent her into the Kowalski's wine shop, and I know I've talked about their wine shop on a recent show, but it's an underrated part of their of the experience at Kowalski's. They're really knowledgeable. They're incredibly helpful. I sent her in there just to get a bottle of champagne, and I said, just find – I wish I could remember the guy's name because he runs the show there, but I said, find this guy – tall guy with glasses, he'll be able to point you in the right direction. And sure enough, she went in and she was like, I didn't even tell him that I knew you or anything. It was just, he was just incredibly helpful. It was this one's this, this one's that, this is, and it's, I love it. I love chatting with them. They've been really helpful when it's been, hey, you know, I, I really liked when you had this. Well, I'll find something close to that. We'll get it ordered next time. And it's a just another example of the great customer service you get at Kowalski's. The food's terrific. The Every aspect of it, the meat, the fish, the produce, it's all terrific. But the people there are what make it an absolute joy to shop there because you can trust that if you need advice, if you need help, they'll help you. So check it out. Kowalski's is my my spot. So Gajan, Gajan, it's, I think the, the J is silent. Um, I just texted Bruce Siski to ask how to pronounce it because this kid is a Minnesota Duluth bound kid. He was playing in the NAHL. He was not supposed to be on the team. Then got a text from his coach like the day before to come out there to be the third goalie. And next thing you know, he's starting again against Canada, making 50 uh, saves. Guyane is how you spell it, according to Bruce. Uh, how do you pronounce it? Guyane, by the way, according to Bruce Siski. Um, but anyway, uh, this this kid – Looks like he is going to be a hell of a player. Uh, 50 some odd saves. Um, and if it wasn't for just insane amount of incredible plays by um, Connor Bedard, uh, finally 
he gets the uh, the incredible overtime winner. That kid is an absolute stud, and you see why so many teams are going for him, Anthony. Without a doubt, you, the tanking suddenly made sense when you watch these games. He's been the, and when you start to see some of the numbers, how he compares to the all-time greats out of Canada and in the World Junior Tournament in general, the names, the lists yeah. that he's on, and the names that are next to him are tell you that this guy is. He's going to be a generational player. Not that I'm saying it makes tanking okay, but because in my opinion, it's an issue. But it, you can see why teams are. I will say, though, as good as he's been, I haven't loved Canada's team. I thought that I watched their very first game in the tourney, and something hasn't been nearly as fluid, nearly as dynamic as what Everybody was talking about with that team coming in. Now, that said, they may end up winning the gold medal, but I just haven't loved their team in this tournament. I don't think they've had great goaltending, and they've just seemed to be missing something from the start. Yeah, maybe Carson Lambos. <laughs> um, Could just be. kidding. Yeah, Speaking uh, of that, you, how, good has, how good did David Spacek look for yeah, you know, the wild Spachik. drafty fifth-round yep. pick, Spacek, yep. and yep. playing for Czechia in this tournament? I. He's been terrific, and for a fifth-round pick, holy cow, the Wild might have yeah. might have found something, found a gem in that one. Yeah, and, you know, I covered his dad, and his dad – so the, the Panthers drafted his father back when uh, you could draft Europeans at any age. I mean, you could technically at that time, before there was European free agency, draft like a 30-year-old European. And Spachik, if I'm not wrong, was like 24 or 25 when the Panthers drafted him. Number eight, big left-handed, big meaning wide, uh, not not in height, uh, left-handed shot, um, incredible shot, um, and was just, uh, I mean, honestly, like one of my favorite Czech players that I've ever covered. And I've covered a bunch of Czechs that were just awesome to deal with, but Yaroslav was right up there. And then his his son comes out here and he's, he's uh, you know, looks like he is going to be a heck of a player, a right shot defenseman. Um, similar shot. I think it's going to be a heck of a find um, by Judd Brackett and, and the rest of the Wild Scouts that, that got him. Um, Jack Peretz played really well. Um, you know, right now the Wild have a player in all four semifinals or in the two semifinals, all four teams coming up on uh, Thursday. Um, excuse me, Wednesday. Uh, so definitely that is going to be worth watching. And, and you know, you got Liam Ogren going up against um, against. Uh, um, who is it's going to be Chechia? So Spachik. He goes up against Spachik, yep. yep, and then yeah, obviously you got Bankier and and uh, Parrot going up in the night game. U.S. and Canada. I haven't seen much awesome. of Sweden in this tournament. Have you had a chance to watch Ogren much? I, I have. I mean, uh, you know, uh, Ogren is a really good player. They have a bunch of really good guys. And ha- did you see how they won? By the way, so Finland's on a power the, play. Uh, yeah, with like a yeah, minute and a half that, left, I have, and they I didn't watch short-handed. the whole game. Yeah. Um, but they look really good, not nearly as dynamic as they, as you know maybe we've seen in the past, but Ogren's been a heck of a player. It's going to be really interesting what happens uh, with him after the season. If I'm the Wild, I want uh, him to stay another year in Sweden and really play up and, and take a big role on his SHL team. I think that'd be really, uh, really a, a good thing for the Wild because he is in a really – like I, I, to me, it would be better for him to play in that men's league over there at that age than come over to the AHL as an, you know, basically a 19, 20 year old and, and play here. But that's just me. I don't know what the Wild are thinking. And Spatchical turn no pro idea. right after this year. Yep. Spatchical yeah, turn I, I, pro. There's after no this year. rush. There's no rush. But when you also have that, the opportunity to play in a league like that one, why not? 
Absolutely. Um, so really good. Um, man, during the game, I had no idea what was going on, but uh, man, that incident in the football game uh, with, with Mar Hamlin, um, just just horrible to watch. Um, and, uh, you know, it looks like the first rep- responders have done, did incredible work to save this poor kid's life, um, you know, still hanging on right now in Cincinnati. Um, you know, I wanted to ask you, Anthony, from your perspective, both as a football coach, but also as a broadcaster. So you see it from both ends. Um, you know, one, uh, let's go the latter first. I don't know if you watched ESPN's coverage, but I was able to turn it on once I realized all this was going on well after the fact. But I thought ESPN really did a good job of sort of, you know, I mean, what had to be an unprecedented moment live on the air on how to handle the situation as they waited for the NFL to make up its mind on what they were going to do with the rest of the game. Could you imagine being yeah, live so, on the air for all of that? Well, yes, I can. I mean, well, I can't, but it, we, so I was watching the football game. I saw the play happen. I saw him go down and I watched it for a while. And then I, as I mentioned, I wasn't listening to the sound. I had music on, but I knew that the hockey game was late in regulation. So I'd watched it for a while and the, you know, they had the ambulance on the field and everything. And I'd switched it over to the hockey game. And then a little bit later, I switched it back and they were still in a delay. And I said, well, wow, this is, this has got to be something. So then I, we shut off the music and started listening. And I mean, first of all, it just was a really unsettling to watch the play happen. And our prayers are with the, the player, the family, the friends, the team, the organization, everything that, that hopefully this, he turns out to be okay. And, and that it's just a scare, but a frightening moment. And you're right. Kudos to the, the everything, the setup, the first responders to react the way they did and, and potentially save this young man's life. But we were talking about this a little bit today at wild practice that you put those broadcasters, you are in such a difficult position because you really, you can't say anything that's right. You don't know anything there's nothing that you can put into words that that will add to this other than that you are just hoping for the best. But at the same time, you can't go off the air. You can't just go to commercials and run them nonstop. You have to do something. You have to say something. You can't go to alternate programming. You can't, hey, let's look at the best of the NFL or something. I mean, you just can't do that. You have to stay on the air. And... The closest thing that I've ever experienced to it was I was on the air for a Twins pregame show the night the bridge collapsed in Minneapolis. Mm. And, in fact, it was a groundbreaking for Target Field. We So I was at the site of the new Target Field. We were doing the pregame show. The Twins were going to play at the Dome that night. And we're about – we're early, just about to go on the air with the show, and by – our coordinating producer at the time gets in my ear and said, okay, we're going to, we're going to go on with the show. Just so you're aware the bridge collapsed. And I'm thinking like bridge collapsed. What the hell bridge are you talking about? And we heard a bunch of sirens and everything going by. And I just assumed it was, I didn't know what it was. I just assumed it was a bunch of police coming in from out of think you can see where, you know, where target field is. So there's those ramps coming from 94 from the Western suburbs that are rolling in. Well, so bottom line is we came on every, the twins played the game that night. 
And so every half inning, they would come to us at the ballpark for the first few innings of the game for an update on what was happening with the bridge. And so think back to where we were at that time. Nobody knows for sure. It's not terrorism and everything like that. And, and so, and I'm in very rare situation for me because look, I've lived in sports. That's media is not serious business. We're t- talking about how good a team's power play or penalty kill is. We're not talking about life or death in any way, shape or form. So you're in totally unforeseen territory. You're realizing that there could well be people that are tuned in. Now, I'm not sure they'd be watching twins baseball to find out what happened with the bridge, but they might be watching the game. And this is news to them that could be potentially life-changing that yes, we've found out that there are, there are deaths or injuries or whatever might be the case. Well, then the second part of this is that as a side note on a personal nature, my boss says, Hey, we're going to have you go into the studio to continue this instead of keep coming to you at this set at the ballpark. Well, our studio was in Northeast Minneapolis at the time. So we had to go over the river to get there. Yeah. Well, think about the backed up traffic going over the, that river bridge, the Hennepin yeah, bridge, yeah, Hennepin because bridge. the other bridge was gone. And as you're stuck on this bridge, there were some unsettling moments of, well, if this was done intentionally by somebody, yeah. who's to say this bridge isn't next and there's nowhere to go. You're just sitting in your car on this bridge. And so that was a little goofy, but then I did go into the studio and for the rest of the night, every half inning or every inning or so, we would come back, Hey, here's an update on what's going on with the bridge. So, and you, it's a really, it's a helpless feeling because you know, you can't, you can't say anything that's going to make anybody feel any better. And so mm-hmm. as I was listening to those, the broadcasters last night, I thought Susie Colbert was phenomenal and they're sitting in the studio and all they can say is we don't know anything. And, but yet their producer is saying, Hey, we're coming to us for four minutes. Yeah. You have to say something for the next mm-hmm. four minutes, but you can't really say anything except we don't know anything. So that it was an incredibly difficult spot. It's as tough a spot as a broadcaster can possibly be placed. And I thought they did a terrific job of handling it, of not speculating, of, of sharing only the facts. And you really even have to be careful about your opinions and what should the league do? What should happen with this game? Because mm-hmm. you don't have all the information at that point, And all you can do is, Really, I, I thought about it a couple times I was watching. It would just be, I'm not even going to guess. I'm not even going to say what I would do because there's no right answer. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Um, I, I don't know Susie Colbert anymore, um, but I worked with her in South Florida in the 90s, and I was watching her on TV yesterday. I was wondering if she had any recollection. So I actually covered, believe it or not, in South Florida, three different um, – incidents where where players died in games that I was covering. What? Okay, yeah, three. One at Western High School, one at Suncoast High School basketball player, so football player at Western, basketball, but the one that I'm almost positive Susie worked on while I was working on it was at John I Leonard High School, a track meet that I was covering where a kid named Damian Smith, I'll never forget it as long as I live, um, while I was interviewing him he, he was getting sick while I was interviewing him and he just collapsed right there. And I worked, if you Google this, I mean, you could probably find the articles. I worked on this story for months 
after he passed away. He essentially, I mean, it's a long story with him, but he essentially overdosed on potassium when he was drinking the Gatorade. He had sickle cell anemia, didn't know it. His father was a guy named Booker T. Johnson, uh, uh, Booker T. Smith. The kid, he never knew that he had sickle cell anemia, uh, anemia and he basically overdosed on potassium. But the one thing that I'll never forget is that Susie Colbert was working at a couple TV stations in West Palm Beach at the time, first at, at the NBC station, then at the ABC station. And I'm positive that we were at a couple of these press conferences together. And I just was wondering, I'm watching her on TV yesterday, and I just wondered if there was any part of her that remembered these incidents um, down in South Florida. But the first, the, the one, the, the, when the, the incident at Suncoast High School um, is what this reminded me of. It was almost the exact same type of situation where the kid just got up and just fell. And it really just, it, I don't know, it brought all those memories back, uh, just watching the replays of this whole thing. And I, um, you know, I've covered NHL for a long time. I weren't, I wasn't at these games, but you had the Chris Pronger incident in the late nineties. You had the Yuri Fisher. We see Yuri Fisher in the wild press box. Thank God almost weekly. He's a scout for the Detroit Red Wings, but I don't know if you remember Yuri Fisher um, having going into cardiac arrest on the, uh, on the bench in Detroit once, and they saved his life right there on the bench. Um, this stuff happens, but a lot of, you know, thankfully this stuff that happens in a professional game happens with just tons and tons and tons of medical people around there. You know, just imagine the number of incidents that do happen on high school fields, on youth fields all the time. I mean, this has been going on forever, and it's just, um, you know, I'm just, I don't know. It's just uh, thankful that that this happened where it did because, as as the old adage says, you know, if you're going to have a, um, a, a medical emergency, you almost want to do it at a ballpark because there's so much around there. Well, none of it's left a chance, and we've seen it in the NHL. They're, they've really worked hard to make sure that the standards are – unwavering with how many medical personnel there have to be with what the medical facility must be. We're seeing it now with the coyotes having to get their temporary arena up to NHL standards. And you, these are the examples of why you have those rules. And I will say that you asked earlier about being a high school coach and it's crazy how well-equipped we make sure that those fields are, those locker rooms are, mm -hmm. how well-trained in emergency situations our coaches are to try to help and what they should, shouldn't, can, can't, when they need to call 911, when a trainer, all of that kind of stuff. We go through a training for that every year just to hopefully be as prepared as possible, obviously not to handle something like what happened in last night's game, but any injury to try to increase the odds of, of making sure that we minimize whatever the damage or risk might be for the athletes. Yeah. And, and in the, in the NHL, as you know, Anthony, I mean, they do dress rehearsals for this type, for every type of emergency on ice, on bench, every, you know, um, whether it's, right. it's a, you know, a back or a neck or something like that, or cardiac, they do these dress rehearsals during training camp. And again, usually at mid season where you have all the medical trainers, all the team doctors, and paramedics all there essentially doing um, workshop workshopping different situations on the ice. And it is fascinating to watch. Um, we've seen it, you know, we uh, look, we, we saw it unfortunately right in front of us when, uh, when Keith Ballard 
uh, started convulsing on the ice right in front of the wild bench when he was hit by Matt Martin right. many years ago and never played another game. And they everything that you saw on the ice, them do. At the time, Donnie Fuller was the, was the head medical trainer. Now it's John Worley. Um, you know, this is type of stuff that they actually workshop uh, before a season starts and, and, again, usually at midseason. And you see it with the – again, I'll go back to our high school situations. The trainers meet. The doctor on hand meets. They talk through this every night, and we see it every night when you get to the rink. The I learned it firsthand last year when the – when the champagne cork incident happened in Tampa, they have an eye specialist that's there, but the home team makes sure is on hand just in case somebody has an, an emergency situation on the ice. Mine obviously wasn't emergency situation or on the ice, but yet they have somebody there and both teams, trainers and medical staff are well aware and they all communicate and it's, they make, they do everything within their power to make it as safe as possible. And you like to see it when it, functions as it's supposed to as it did last night and hopefully it turns out to be a life-saving situation you mentioned chris pronger i had forgotten that it was a what it sounds like it might have been a similar situation to what he had and i don't want to be the guy to speculate but in his case he wound up playing what was it another 12 years after that after the incident yeah took a puck to the chest and um and yeah, uh, went down. I mean, you know, not only that, I mean, after that incident, I mean, heck, he was the Hart Trophy and Norris Trophy winner the same year in the NHL. Um, you know, he obviously went on to have a, you know, a Hall of Fame career and, and all that. And, and um, you know, uh, man, I just, I don't know, I'm suddenly remembering that whole incident more vividly. The one, the, the one that really was scary was the one in Detroit with Yuri Fisher and I see Yuri all the time in the wild press box. And every time I see him, it just kind of makes me smile because I remember when that happened, uh, Nick Katsunika actually was, I think working for the Detroit news at the time. Now he's at NHL.com and, um, he did, um, incredible work. I believe it was Nick, uh, did incredible work in the aftermath of, of writing those stories. Um, I believe Jason Lock and four, Ted Colf and a lot of sports writers down there, but you're right. I mean, I, I remember reading, um, those stories and, and, and almost like, Saving them, I, I do think I bookmarked them almost as like a template. If God forbid I ever had to cover something like that, as well, because this is stuff you know. Again, it's like we're sports writers. We're you know you're a sports announcer. It's like we're not journalists, right? We're not working the White House. We're not on you know we're not you know embedded in the military. We're not you know embedded in Ukraine like like you know Izzy is from the Washington Post, a former hockey writer. I mean, these, this is not, you know, we write about hockey pucks and, and call goals for a living. And, and so like, you know, all of a sudden you, you, something major happens. It's a news story and you have to like suddenly remember how to be a journalist again. It's pretty crazy. So, um, I don't know. Yeah, I just, just, when I see those, when I see those nights, I'm just glad that I don't have a job that every night is, yeah. I remember the old. There was an old saying, I can't remember whose quote it was, but they said something about that the the front page of the paper is all about man's failure and the sports page is all about man's success. And when you think about it that way, I'm just glad that you and I are in a line of work where we're just talking about successes. And the worst case scenario is that somebody plays a poor game and they lose as opposed to somebody commits a major crime and somebody loses a life because of it or something like that. Yeah. Um, let's go to Twitter questions, but first tell us about Moe's Tavern. I love Moe's Tavern. It's a great place to go watch a game, <laughs> great place to have a great meal. And 
they've got a, it's just a, it's an incredible setup. It's in a convenient spot. It's right inside or connected to Fogarty Ice Arena in Blaine. It overlooks the Four Seasons Curling Club. It's got great banquet facilities. If you're looking for a place to have a meeting, to have a fantasy draft, something like that, it's a great place if you want to show up and watch games. It's a great place to sneak across the hall if you're in between periods of a game at the rink or you're out there for a youth tournament or something where you're you're looking for something to keep you busy as you wait for a game or practice to finish up. It's a great spot with a great menu. I've, I know I've said it before, but my favorite is the pastrami sandwich. Check it out on a pretzel bun. You won't be disappointed. Awesome. And here's a word from Royal Credit Union. Take the checking account challenge from Royal Credit Union. Compare your checking account to Royal and see why it makes sense to switch. Royal's checking accounts have no hidden fees and lots of free features that make it easy to stay on top of your money. You can deposit checks with the Royal's mobile app, receive real-time notifications when transactions happen, and even freeze your debit card in seconds. See what other features you're missing out on and make the switch to a Royal checking account at rcu.org slash royalchallenge, insured by NCUA. And here's a word from Chris Lindahl Real Estate. If you're like most people, you've been wondering if the real estate market is going to crash. Well, I went right to an expert the other day, and that, you know who it is. It's Chris Lindahl, and I asked him point blank. Chris started in 2009, and as we all know, there were similar tensions back then. So I wanted to know where we were headed, and here's what Chris told me. The supply of homes would have to outweigh demand, not be at all-time lows for a crash to happen. The average days on market would need to spike as well. If you look right now, houses are sitting on the market longer. Prices are being cut a lot too, but the seasons and market have both been shifting, so it's hard to say that the sky is falling. Number one thing people can control right now is their equity being at all-time highs. Homeowners that want to guarantee they keep their equity need to be proactive, not wait until it's too late, which is why so many are coming to Chris Lindahl Real Estate for their guaranteed offer program. It's a great hedge against high inflation and interest rates vaporizing people's equity. Request your no-obligation guaranteed offer right now by going to chrislindahl.com. Terms and conditions apply. All right, back here, Worst Seats in the House, Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta, final 20 minutes or so of the show. Our next live show is January 25th at uh, Split Rocks, we think. Uh, subject to weather, um, as we've quickly learned here the last couple of times that we're supposed to be up in, uh, up in uh, that awesome spot in Wyoming. Let's go to Twitter questions. Um, let's start off, um, Anthony Miller asked about, and I've gotten so much of this today, asking about if Jacob Verana is a potential pickup. And all I'll just say is, is no. Um, there's no way. Um, he is on the ice, a heck of a player. Um, I mean, it's something crazy, like 20 something goals and 39 games as a Detroit Red Wing. Um, but I don't think the Detroit Red Wings is in a position to just throw away 20 young, 20 something goal scorers like this guy, unless there's some other issues going on there. I know they got to get under the cap. There would have been other ways for them to do it. Um, he spent the first two or three months of the season in the NHL and the NHL's uh, substance abuse program. So I don't know what led to this, but it seems awfully fishy that they would just say uh, adios. So I don't know if something else has happened or what. Uh, you know, it's, it's wrong of me to speculate. But the big reason why the Wild just can't do it is that he makes five point something million dollars and he's got another year left on his deal. And we have talked ad nauseum on the show, Anthony. I know that you say that you don't have to worry about this, but the reality is is that the Wild have $15.5 million cap space and nine guys to try to get signed. Boldy, Goudreau, Shaw. Again, they're not signing all these guys, but Boldy, Goudreau, Shaw, Steele, Reeves, Duhame, Addison, 
Dumba and Gustafson all without contracts next year and $15.5 million. They're not adding a 5.25 Jacob Verana. It's just absolutely impossible. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, I agree wholeheartedly. And I know that I don't know the whole situation, but I know the Red Wings had Robbie Fabry coming back and needed to make a move to make room for him. I I don't know what else is going on behind the scenes with him, and I wouldn't even want to guess. But Brand is a good player, but I I just don't think this is the – I think Minnesota will likely make a move before the deadline, but I believe it will be somebody who has nothing past this year on their contract in all likelihood. And I, if you've, if you've got one shot to take, I don't think it's going to be on Jacob Brano. Yeah. Uh, Nate says, um, and this might, this might be good for you to answer because I, I think that sometimes you get a little more alone time with Dean Evanson than, than me. I, not think I know. Um, Nate asks, uh, what's the logic on sitting goose for long stretches rather than running a rotation where all seven um, know each seven games they get a night off? Like, obviously, you're not taking out Brodine and, Del- and Spurgeon. Um, but, you know, it's funny. I asked you the same sort of thing the other day. Like, why Why do you think, Anthony, um, that maybe they don't just do some sort of little rotation with, say, Goligoski and Merrill and Addison? Um, you know, wh- what's your opinion on that? Yeah, it's an interesting question. And I, in fact, I talked with Wes Walls about this a little bit the other day that I, I'm a little surprised, but, but Dean has always been that way. He's never been one to rotate guys through. It's, we've seen it with forwards and defensemen that once he decides these are my top 12, these are my top six, that when healthy, those guys are in. And I keep going back to, cause I asked Wes, if he would do it a little differently. And we've seen every wild coach that I've covered has been a little bit different. Mike Yo used to, you know what, we just don't want a guy to sit for that long. So every once in a while, he'd just throw a guy in for a night just to let somebody else have a night off. And maybe Dean looks at it that goligoski has been in because of injury often enough, but I would always worry and I would always err on the side of, why do I want a guy to sit for two weeks and then expect him to cut, jump in and, and be ready to go? I think Goligoski's done a great job of being ready when his name has been called. But I think if I were an NHL coach, and I'm far from qualified to be one, that I would lean more on the, all right, let's just we'll give this guy a night off, back-to-backs or something like that to throw him in every once in a while. And I, I asked Wes specifically about just that, like because you have a guy – who the risk you run now is that he is going to be rusty, that I don't know if the injury risk goes up when he comes in. But I kept going back to what John Cooper did in Tampa a few years ago. He had Victor Hedman and then six other defensemen, and he just said, we're going to rotate the other six so that once every six nights, they know they have a night off. And I think it'll make us better at the end of the year. This way, nobody's sitting for long stretches of time. He had a luxury of some cushion in the standings that year. And I'm not thinking that you'd rotate seven defensemen through six spots because I you're never going to take Spurgeon or Brodine out of the lineup. But I think if it were me, I'd probably do a little bit more of a rotation. But he has not been one to do that. And I don't see any reason why we should expect it to change now where he just is going to look at it and say, if these are my top six, if they're all healthy and ready to go, I'm playing my top six until one of them plays their way out of the lineup for a night. 
You know, it's funny because Wild fans, it seems like they feel like Merrill's the guy that should come out. I, I actually at times think it should be Addison. Like I thought Addison really struggled the other day in St. Louis. Um, and I'm sort of surprised just because you could throw Goligoski on that top power play unit that they don't every now and then give um, Addison a night off. Um, but that that's just me. Um, R.D. Jones asks, uh, does the stock of Gustafson seem to be rising in the organization? Does it feel like the starts are going to be closer to 50-50 from here on out? If the quality of play continues, I don't think it'll be 50-50, Anthony, but I definitely think that the stock has risen where they are totally comfortable putting him in there to the point that he's starting against the Lightning. Yeah, I think it's going to be more like a two-and-one kind of rotation, but early in the year, I think they were reluctant to trust Gustafson other than when they needed him, where it was second of back-to-backs or Fleury was beat up or banged up and where... And we've seen that in the past, too. Remember last year, Dean made no bones about the fact that he was going to play Cam Talbot every night because he didn't trust Kakinen early in the year. And like, there's no reason to put him in. I don't care if he sits for five, six, seven games in a row. Until we're back-to-backs, he was going to start Talbot every night. And I think if he had that same lack of confidence in Gustafson, we'd see Flurry out there almost every night. But Gustafson's played well enough to warrant more starts, I still think you'll end up being probably a two for Flurry, one for Gustafson, which is where we are right now. Yes, Gustafson's going to play against the Lightning on Wednesday night, but Flurry just played back-to-back games prior to that. Yeah. And so I think you'll see that. Now, this one was a little different because with back-to-backs this weekend on the road against Buffalo and at home against St. Louis, you figure the goalies will each get one of those. So I guess in this stretch, you're going to see Gus get two out of three, but then I'd probably be surprised if you didn't see Flurry get both starts in New York against the Rangers and Islanders. Right, right. Uh, what do you think, Flurry and Buffalo and Gustafson in the second of back-to-back? That's probably what I would do, and that way you set it up so that Flurry gets the two starts on the East Coast against the Rangers and Islanders. Makes sense. Uh, um, and actually, I think I told you, I'm not even coming back for that home game. Joe Smith will cover the game against St. Louis, and I'm heading up to Toronto to watch games in the Situation Room. Matt Caven has a funny question. says, uh, just a random question for you, but when you're working late and you're the last one in the press box, do you just leave when you're done, or do they give you your own key at some point so you can lock up? Uh, that would be hilarious if they gave me a key to the arena. But uh, no, I just uh, I just leave. I mean, uh, you know, I've been to all these buildings, whether it's XL or any thousand times, so I know my way out. Um, all that, um, really though, it is weird. It's like, it's like the, the, the cleaning staff that works games in every arena. I don't know if they just are starting them later, but it is even in St. Louis the other night, maybe that's because it was new year's Eve. There was nobody in the arena when I left, like it was nobody cleaning, nothing. Um, where a lot of times if I'm leaving XL energy center at like midnight or something there, you know, all of a sudden the, the custodial staff. Um, who are part-timers uh, coming to the arena at the exact same time. But don't you think I should get a key card to the arena, Anthony? I actually, I don't. But okay. I like the I like your idea. And it we've talked about, there are some moments like that that I find to be special times. And you have the, I love the earlier in the afternoon times. Now, it's not an empty arena, but I get there, if it's a home game for the Wild, at 345, I'm in my booth and working on my prep and I just love that those couple of moments where you're there and it's there's really nobody else there's some music playing in the background the quiet the you'll start to smell some of the food being prepared 
I used to love it at Mariucci when I was covering the Gophers. You'd start to smell their almonds that they roast there. <laughs> at the ballparks, you start to smell the hot dogs and popcorn getting going. And and when I years ago when I worked for the St. Paul Saints, I often was the last one out of the ballpark there. And the same kind of thing. It just there's those little moments where you're just kind of left on your own in your own little world doing your job. And it's I kind of like the eerie silence in an arena. Speaking of eerie, Kevin Falness has the really the eeriest because even road games, he produces from his studio at the arena most of the time. So he is driving into, unless there's a concert going on, he a lot of times is going into a pitch black arena and then leaving at like midnight or if we're on the West Coast way later. Uh, you know, just leaving that arena at just super late, dark times. It's, it's, uh, yeah, we lived that during the, we lived that during the pandemic. That yeah. we did the games from the arena and you would go in there for West Coast games. So nine o'clock start and you were the only ones in the building and you'd pull into the parking ramp. They weren't even asking you to swipe a card anymore. They just put the gates up and said, have at it. <laughs> Because everybody else went home for the night. And yeah, yeah, you would sit in this dead, silent arena other than you'd hear Kevin Gorg from down in one of the Zamboni (laughs) tunnels or something because he has a tendency to yell when he's on TV. So he's doing a sideline hit and we could have a conversation from the press box to Gorg down in the Zamboni tunnel because there was nobody else in the building. That's hilarious. C.J. Gustafson asks, uh, what do the Wild need to do to start winning faceoffs? Do you think down the stretch they add a depth center for this very reason? I actually don't think they would just add a center for no reason. I mean, a couple of years ago, they could have added uh, a couple times that Luke Lendenning, two years in a row, who was the best faceoff guy in the league statistically, and they had no interest. So um, I think it's got to be internal improvement unless they're just going to go add that number one center somehow in a trade. I don't think that he's just going to go out and get a faceoff specialist. But I do think it drives Billy nuts at times. Like I don't think anybody understands why guys like Joel Erickson Eck are not better than they are. I mean, um, well, these now, last, again, the not- last the last two games have been among the worst two in the history of the franchise, and yeah. really the last three have been coming out of the break. They were smoked in Winnipeg, and then the worst faceoff game in the history of the franchise took place in Dallas a couple nights later when they won what twenty eight percent of the draws. And then it was worse in St. Louis. That's what I was just going to say. So it's, it's these, it's a problem. They have to, they have to be better. And sometimes face-off win percentage gets overblown over the course of the whole season. But we saw it in these games, how critical it was, especially on special teams where the wild couldn't get a, they couldn't win a face-off on either the power play or the kill. And you wind up, on the short end because of it in those spots. But the problem with adding a face-off specialist is that he has to become one of your four centers. So when you look at your lineup and let's say you go grab a, let's just throw out Luke Glendening as an example. Yes, he's got a good face-off win percentage, but are you going to put him in your lineup in place of Sam Steele or in place of Freddie Goudreau or in place of Joel Erickson Eck or Connor Dewar? Absolutely not. So you can't just get a face-off specialist. You'd have to get a face-off specialist that can also play, and there just aren't very many of those that I believe will fit into what the Wild, number one, can afford, both from a money and a asset standpoint. But, man, I mean, that game against St. Louis, I didn't think the Dallas game could get worse. It was worse. They, they won 29% of his draws. Their top two centers, Sam Steele and Yul Eriksson-Eck, 
lost 22 of 28 face-offs. You add in Freddie Goudreau to that mix, so your top three centers, he lost 29 of 37 face-offs. Now, again, as Dean Evason, a former center, always points out, it's not always on the center. Um, but, man, their center's got to be better. I mean, it's that simple. But, you know, it, these wearers need to get in there and get their freaking noses dirty. There's no doubt about it. Yeah, uh, there were a few, and I, I heard Dean's comment on it, and I agree. There are some – there were a couple, and, in fact, one of them in Dallas specifically that, that he addressed after the game where he said you can't put that one on the center. But there were also – that night clean against draws. the Stars, how many did Jamie Ben just pull cleanly back right off yeah. the faceoff where it didn't have anything to do with any wingers? It was Ben won 14 out of 18 that night, and I bet six or eight of them were just clean. I won it. You lost it. It's back on my defenseman stick right now. And it's it's got to get better. Jules Eriksson has improved every season of his NHL career on the faceoff dots, and up until this week, he was up over 48, almost 49%, which he last year was 47 and a half. So he has been getting better and better and better. But there is something missing there because he looks like a guy that should be like a 53% faceoff guy. That's just a he. That's a horse that you can't beat him when he's on his strong dot, and he just hasn't he hasn't become that yet. Mm-hmm. Patrick asked with how good Sammy Walker has played every game, why doesn't the coaching staff bring him up for good? First of all, they're not the GM. The coaching staff doesn't determine that. Billy Guerin does. And this is the National Hockey League. Guys have NHL contracts. You don't just say, all right, you know, Sammy Walker, you're on the team and you're not. Uh, that's not the way it works. Uh, Sammy Walker has got to wait for injuries. That's just the way it is. Um, you know, Ryan Hartman should be on that line if they're healthy. Or uh, you put Hartman back on his number one stop, and maybe you try a Sam Steele there. But um, look, Sammy's played well, um, but but you know you're not you're not just bringing him up for good. You you can't just do that. I mean, you have a cap situation, you have no. a roster situation, and let's um, and you have Brandon Brandon Duhame coming back, and there's right now no room for him in the lineup. Well, yeah, and Duhame will be in the lineup as soon as he's healthy. It isn't going to be against the Lightning, but I would bet he's going to be in the lineup by the time they hit the road and go to Buffalo. He will be in the lineup as soon yeah. as he's healthy. Number one. Number two, and, and, Sammy Walker. And Shaw, as you as you've mentioned, Shaw probably comes out. And you know, how's that? Probably. Fair? You know. And that's a different role than what Sammy Walker was playing anyway. And exactly. and I loved the way Walker played and he certainly impressed the coaches and and staff are well aware of how well he played. And if a skill guy goes down again Sammy's probably the first guy they recall. Even the other night when there was when they were worried about whether or not they were going to have all their forwards, if uh, one guy couldn't play, Walker was out there for warm-up, he would have been the next guy in for Minnesota. But all that, saying all of that, look at what he produced. Six games, one empty net goal, five total shots on goal, no assists, uh, plus two player. That's good. That isn't blow you away. How do you take this guy out of the lineup? Good and 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 I'm I'm saying that from a perspective I, I that I love God, this I game. Like had a, I almost I, Anthony, I almost had an aneurysm the other night when I tweeted that Sammy Walker was scratched for Ryan Hartman and Wild fans were going nuts. Like I, I look, I love Wild fans. I think they're usually pretty educated. I mean, the fact that anybody in their right mind, unless you live in the Sammy Walker household, thinks that Ryan Hartman should not be in the lineup over Sammy Walker 
is just absolutely out to lunch. I mean, like, let's right. like, I mean, we got to all chillax here. You know, it's just, there's always like, there's always one take by a vast majority of wild fans that I just like blown away by. And I like wait, Sammy wait, Walker. Wait, wait, Trust wait, wait, me, wait. I think so are you player. saying your new year's resolution has already failed? It's January. No, 3rd. I haven't, I haven't ripped, I haven't ripped them on Twitter yet. I just am ripping them to you on here. Yeah, right. Well, this kind of counts, doesn't it? Doesn't it mean no, no, that you've already in, violated it's be, your? It's, it's got to be. It's got to be. Written. So you That's can your your New Year's resolution was to be nice to people on Twitter, but rip them apart on your podcasts, face to face, in well, print. Well, I can't just not. I can't just keep this all in. I'll just explode. At some point, I got to get yeah, it out. That's well, <laughs> we've got a good friend whose old line used to be, "How are they going to know they're a dumbass if I don't tell them they're a dumbass?" <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, and that man is very, very smart. It's a great yeah, line. No, that's right. That's no, and so to, just to kind of wrap up the Walker thought, I really, I really loved what he brought. But yes, to look at this and say that that means he should have stayed in the lineup over a guy who scored 34 in the NHL last year is absurd. He's I don't think if you ask Sammy Walker, should you stay in the lineup over Ryan Hartman, <laughs> that he'd say, yes, I should. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Adam says, uh, with Vegas and Seattle fun away trips in mind, what contracted places do you miss? Um, I actually miss Atlanta. I love to go into Atlanta, um, uh, covering those Thrasher games. Part of it is my family's there, mom's there, brother, nephews, sister-in-law. All that stuff. They're, they're, uh, my sister in law's parents there, all that type of thing. So uh, I, I loved Atlanta. I, I know that y- you've worked in the NHL. You haven't been to any of these other cities, right, um, Anthony? But well, I, I, I've been to it. I've been to Atlanta when traveling with a baseball team. And right. I'm not, I wasn't as crazy about Atlanta trips as you were. But, there, I, you know, it's, I'm trying to think of cities. For me, I guess that, that would be Hartford. the question would be, yeah. yeah, and I never, I never was in Hartford. I've, I never was in Quebec. There are some cities that I used to visit when traveling with baseball teams that we don't visit anymore now that I'm on the hockey beat, I guess. And But that's about it. I, I like going to Kansas City, and I don't get to do that now that I travel with the Wild rather than the Twins. Were you a Cleveland uh, fan? That might, you know what? There's a great steakhouse in Cleveland called the XO Steakhouse. So the actual city, not necessarily, but... I loved going there because of that one steak place that was probably top four or five. Seattle would have been on this list for me until they came back into the NHL. I like Seattle, and that's fun. I guess maybe the maybe the question we should be asking is what city are we going to miss when they're no longer in the NHL anymore? And it uh, we'll see what happens in Arizona because I know that would be you'd hate to see that one go. Who is the basketball player, the former Gator? Is it Yoakam Noah that ripped on Cleveland a couple of years ago? Who's like, like, what's so good about Cleveland? Whoever says I want to go to Cleveland on vacation, it was such a funny like back like thing in a press conference. Yeah, I don't know. Cleveland. Um, let's uh, uh, just blow through a couple more Twitter questions because we do have some good ones. Uh, ben Gorman asked, "What's uh, Freddie Goudreau's future here?" Somebody also asked me the other day if he's going to price himself out of here. I think Freddie is too shrewd and too smart of a person to quote price himself out of here. He might be able to get as a UFA more money somewhere else, but there's something to be said for playing for Dean Evison and a coach that puts him in all these great spots. Um, I bet you that he uh, figures out a way to make himself very, very attractive on a contract to the wild. 
Um, Joseph asks, uh, any idea what the situation plan is for Pavel Novak? There's no timeline yet, but he continues to be on the mend. Um, AJ Spears asks, what's the, what does Adam Beckman still need to work on to stick with the big club? Um, you know, I, I think that the one thing that Adam Beckman has showed me, and Dean Evison has talked about this the other day, Anthony, I'm not sure if you were at that practice, but he went on and on about Beckman, about how he, you know, was a goal scorer in juniors and all this stuff, but they had a conversation with him and said, look, if you're going to play right now on this team in this International Hockey League, you're going to have to be in a bottom six role, and here's the way you need to play to be in that bottom six role, and that's be physical, play with energy, create scoring chances, and we've seen that so far. So unless he's going to miraculously become a top six on this team, for him to stick, and if he wants to be at in Minnesota, he's going to have to continue to play the way he's doing. And the only reason why he's not here is, as we've just talked about, Anthony, they're just a healthy lineup right now. Um, but I think uh, Adam Beckman has done a pretty good job in his games that he's called up this year. He's been fine, but I, I agree with you. He isn't – I don't see him as a top six forward option throughout his career. Maybe a third-line guy. I would say he's middle six as a, at best, but probably most likely a bottom six guy. And right now there's just not a spot for that yeah. in Minnesota, and I don't think there will be – unless you have significant injury trouble, but that's, that doesn't, that's not a knock on the guy. I think he's done everything that he, they've asked him to do and, and we'll see what happens. You just never know. I, I don't Um, think a lot of guys when camp started this year would have been looking at Sammy Walker saying, I'll bet you that guy's the first call up when they need a skill guy. Yeah. Um, Brian asks, um, how did the wild get Bedard? He goes, I know this sounds like a fake question, but is it possible to trade anybody other than Kaprizov to a losing team for their first overall pick, uh, that, that has won the lottery? And I would say absolutely not. I bet you, you couldn't trade Kirill Kaprizov for that number one pick. I really don't think so. I think that any of those teams that are quote tanking right now to get them are doing so with a long-term vision of, of building around an 18 year old, 19, 20, 21, 22-year-old Connor Bedard and adding a $9 million 25-year-old in Kaprizov that only has two or three years left under his contract um, doesn't even move the needle. And obviously, nobody else on the wild would move the needle. So I don't even think it's possible to trade uh, for that number one overall pick. I know it's a fun fun question. What do you think of it, Anthony? Well, it's an interesting question in that you know what you have in Kaprizov, but I, nobody's going to trade for two years of Kaprizov trade Bedard. So let's just say, hypothetically, what if Kaprizov was under contract for the next eight years? Then that might be. And would you make the trade? Yeah. Yeah, I, I probably would. If you're that team that thinks we're that one player away. But if you are a rebuilding team like Chicago, Arizona, um, you know, um, uh, Ottawa actually might be in that where they would do that mill, but an actual true rebuilding team that needs a ton of pieces. I don't think you make the trade just for Kaprizov, even with seven or eight years left on his deal. Now, if you're a team that like an Ottawa that feels like, all right, Hey, we've had a bad year, but we thought we were going to be much better and we won the lottery. Then maybe that makes, makes sense uh, to do it. But uh, I remember being on a conference call years ago when Ilya, uh, Ilya um, Kovachuk was available. And Dan and Don Waddell was trying to create this belief out there that he would actually trade that number one overall pick. And he never, ever had an intention, but he did it to just see, Hey, would somebody call up and say, Hey, how about this guy? You know, would you take this guy, that guy? And obviously he never had any intention of getting rid of, uh, of, of that pick, uh, to get Kolvachuk. And it, you know, it almost became like this. 
you know, Ovi was the same way. I remember George McPhee's like, yeah, we'd be open to it. He was never, you know. What What about looking at it from the other perspective? If So you're Connor Bedard right now, and the the way he's played, I think, in this World Junior Tournament has – he had nothing – I shouldn't say this, but he had – it's probably not quite the right way to say it, that he had nothing left to prove. But I think on this big stage, as an underage guy, he has – proven that everything anybody said about him is accurate and that mm-hmm. he has in this tourney, I think he solidified his spot as in the minds of every scout in the league as a generational talent. So now if you're Connor Bedard and you're looking at these teams that are in the tank for Bedard tournament, so to speak, do you think going through his mind, he's got, he's already thinking about, well, I sure hope those guys win the lottery as opposed to those guys like thinking, <laughs> You know, I, I wouldn't mind locking in long term in a great in a a place like Ottawa where it looks like they already have a ton of pieces in place. And they if I sign there, we they might be imagine throwing him into that group of young stars yeah. in Ottawa. They could be a yeah. they could be the best team in the league for a while, as yeah. opposed to if I go to Anaheim, we might be still five pieces away from being a contender. Yeah. Um it's a good point. Um, I don't know. Living in South Southern California, that's not a bad thing. Just has Trevor Zevers, uh, Ryan Getzlaff, all those guys that were out there. Um, no, I, you know, I, I agree, bet, yeah, but I'm I, saying I, yeah. look at their team I, yeah, right now you. and yeah. say that they're not one guy away. They might be four guys yeah. away, even if that one guy is Bedard. And you're in a spot where, yeah, living in Southern California is nice, but what about what about going to a city that you've seen when the hockey is great? It's as hockey crazy a city as there is in the league, like Chicago, for example. Yep, exactly. And th- that's different. It's never going to be the same in Anaheim. Yeah. Uh, Skyler asks, uh, who who on, do you think on this current roster will not be on the team come next year? I don't know. I mean, like truly, it wouldn't shock me if they ever traded in Addison. I still just think that they would consider something like that. That'd be probably the one guy. Like I'm trying to think outside the box, like not just say Matt Dumba. Um, let's see. I think we're gonna wrap up the show. I thought there was one really good, like kind of uh, your favorite TV series, Anthony. Ooh, favorite well, ever. I don't watch any TV right now, um, but old. I don't TV, watch probably, any network yeah. TV right now. Yeah. That's for sure. But there's, I have a couple. The the the, in terms of a drama series, nothing rivals the West Wing. I thought that was such a masterfully put together series, and I've watched it probably four times through. And because I just like having something on in the background while I'm working or while I'm on a treadmill or something. But I'm also, as you know, a huge Seinfeld guy. Yeah, we're and the same. and I and I'm also a fan of The Office. I love The Office. I think it was the last couple seasons drifted a little bit, but prior to that, the early years of that were, I thought they were brilliant, funny. So those are probably my top three. Yeah. My current TV that I love is Succession. Um, loved Veep, loved Kirby Enthusiasm, loved Seinfeld, loved West yeah. Wing. Uh, things I liked like that. all of those. I'm I'm watching Yellowstone right now, and I, I like Everybody's Yellowstone. Told me to watch I think it. that's pretty good. You know who told me yeah, to watch that, it was Craig Leopold. He loves that show. Yeah, I like it. It's Yellowstone's good, and that's I'd say those are probably the – I've watched Succession, and I like Succession. I think it got a lot better. I thought the first season was just okay, but it's I was watching Billions, and I like Succession better. 
So, but I don't watch, I don't think there's a single series on network television that I either have watched or would watch right now. <laughs> um, Dumb Bomb want, wants to know, was it Reeves or Caprice House's idea to dress like Santa and an elf during warm up before Christmas? That was Reeves's idea. Last question of the show. Matty Ice wants to know, have you ever considered what would happen if you guys swapped jobs for a day? And uh, I would not want to know what would happen to The Athletic. I've seen some of your newsletters, lots of typos. Um, I think that if you worked, uh, if you sat in my shoes, you'd realize how absolutely hard my job is compared to yours, Anthony. Well, there are typos in mine, but that's only because I don't proofread it or care to proofread it. But <laughs> it, it uh, I think it would be, let's just say, I think it would be bad for the readers of The Athletic, and it might be bad for the viewers of Valley Sports North. <laughs> I wanted to be a play-by-play guy when I was a kid. I never wanted to be a writer, but it it's... <laughs> I still don't. I, I do think it's... I think it would be... It'd be interesting. I think it's the... I don't think I'd have a problem writing a game story. I would have a problem reporting on other stories like you have to do on a daily basis, trying to... Working sources to track down potential trades and that, that I just wouldn't have the, I think I'd last a half a day doing that and I'd be done. And the actually like showing up, covering a game, getting post game quotes and putting it together in a story. I think I could, I think I could do that and probably do it quickly. I'm not saying I could do it as well as you, but I think I could do that for a night. I wouldn't want to do it every night. And uh, you know, I play by play is a different animal. I'm not, I have no idea hockey. what hockey. Yeah. That, if it was, if you were to jump in and be the analyst on a broadcast, I would say maybe that's something that would be more realistic. Play by play is yeah. a, that's a tough deal for hockey. Maybe you could jump in and be a baseball play by play guy. Yeah. I think that's stories about your more, days with the yeah, Panthers. Yeah. Well, I mean, people just hear on this podcast every week. I mean, I get tongue tied on the simplest things. So just imagine what I would do if I had to sit there and call play by play in hockey. And then the other thing is I don't have the pipes to uh, call, call a goal. I don't think I would definitely have to have a different goal call in yours. Cause I couldn't hit those, hit those, <laughs> uh, those, those, um, the those, high notes. Those, yeah, exactly. Sorry, I was distracted by a call here coming in, which uh, reminds me we should probably wrap up the show. January 25th is our next live show, we think, at Split Rocks. Uh, um, sorry if you plan to make it out up to Split Rocks today, but we thought we'd better be safe um, just with all the you know uh, awful weather that we've got. And even though we know MnDOT does a great job clearing the roads, we just figured it'd be smarter to, to, to scrap it. So again, January 25th, and then we'll do six shows yeah, live in February and March. Uh, thanks to Anthony. Thanks to our incredible producer, Brandon. Thanks to um, the new uh, Posh Studios here, sponsored by Aquarius, Aquarius Home Services uh, Studio as well. Most Tavern, Chris Sendall Real Estate, Bosch Law Firm, as I mentioned, Aquarius Home Services, which is your installers of Connecticut Water Treatment Systems, Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling, Royal Credit Union, and of course, Kowalski's. Talk to you next week, Anthony. Sounds good. So much coming out, there's nothing going in I know that you feel like you're never gonna win Oh, but the world won't forgive a winner That would be hilarious if they gave me a key to the arena.